Arctic explorer Ben Saunders once said, True inspiration and growth only comes from adversity and challenge. What if we applied this to a couple rather than the individual? Yeah, it's it's definitely difficult to watch your spouse die in front of you would be, you know, the worst. And we've been in situations where that is a real possibility. And we try to put that out of our mind, yet not be ignorant to the possibility. But as that quote implies, challenge will lead to growth. So I think it's learning how learning how to work with each other through the different circumstances. And I would say that Mark has learned how to support me in that instead of getting mad at me or telling me to stop. You know, I mean, living in close quarters, being together 24-7, you, you get to know a person really well. Couples Therapy, the Climber's Edition. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hey, Meister fans. Quick thing before we welcome our guests today. If you guys are in need of some new gear or are buying for somebody else or whatever before this holiday season, we've paired up with MojaGear.com, and they are offering Meister fans an exclusive deal, 15% off of their entire store. This is not some sort of end of the season, last year model giveaway. This is everything in this store, 15% off using the code Meister at checkout. Full details on our website. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. Today with me, I have Mark and Janelle Smiley. Hi, guys. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. For the past four and a half and almost five years now, Mark and Janelle have been working on a demanding project, and that is completing the 50 classic climbs in North America. If they complete it, Mark and Janelle will be the first people, or at least the first that anybody knows of, to have done all of the climbs. These are based off of a legendary book called, you guessed it, 50 Classic Climbs of North America, written by Alan Steck and Steve Roper. Mark and Janelle, thanks again. And how far through are you right now? How far through the 50 Classics? We have completed 44. 44 done. So that leaves six left, if my math is correct. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, This year was, you know, we actually didn't complete any this year. We tried the biggest one and failed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. Well, it failed a little harsh. It was snow conditions didn't allow for it. We did not reach the summit. Mm -hmm. But we're still alive, so I guess we succeeded. Right. There are two kinds of successes, I guess, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, year one, we picked all the, or a lot of the low-hanging fruit uh, and did 20, 26 routes wow. in the first year. And then it slowly tapered as we 
ramp up the harder to the harder routes. Hmm. Um, and last year, I think we did six, six, yeah, five or six, something like that. Interesting. Yeah, let's talk about the climbing a little bit later. First, I want to get to know both of you as individuals, and then we'll talk about the relationship and the climbs. Do your best to not make me feel like a third wheel. Is that all right? Sounds good. (laughs) So individuals, ladies first, Janelle, tell us about who you are. Well, let's see. I grew grew up in small mountain towns in Colorado. I was born and raised in Aspen, and then when I was 12, I got, we moved to Uray, Colorado, and I started skiing when I was three, and then I started climbing and exploring when I was 11 with my brother. Hmm. And do you climb and ski as a career? I do, yes. Very neat. And I saw that you do ski mountaineering. That is correct. For the listeners who don't know what ski mountaineering is, it is fast ascents and descents. The fastest person wins. You're basically skinning up a hill as fast as you can, scrambling to the tops of peaks, and then skiing down on what are supposed to be skis meant for ascending, not descending. Is that correct, Janelle? That's correct. The skis are 160 length and 65 underfoot, and they weigh less than a pound. They're super lightweight skis. So it's kind of like it's kind of like skiing down a hill on Barbie skis. Barbie skis. That's a good uh, a good way to put it. Uh, do you, do people fall a lot? You know, surprisingly, when you're going that fast, you, um, let's see, what would I say? When you're going that fast, you're so focused. And so anytime you have like a slight undulation in the terrain or something, your body has, a, your body does a really good job at adapting. And surprisingly, you don't react as much as you think you would. Mm, interesting. All right. What about you, Mark? What's, what's your deal? Uh, I grew up in the mountainous state of Indiana. Oh, and, wow. Um, got my first taste of the mountains uh, on family road trips we'd drive out west and and go backpacking and car camping and things and i was in boy scouts and so we'd go down to like red river gorge kentucky and do you know go repelling and then i got into rock climbing through a gym and i went to purdue university so but in the summers of college i was a raft guide in colorado and then after college got hired to be a guide on Mount Rainier actually and started my guiding guiding career and now I'm currently working at X amount guides in the Tetons and then I have my own little LLC that uh, I take people both domestic and international trips more on a on a boutique level where it's it's a fully customizable trips. Mm-hmm. You know, we actually have a lot of listeners in the Midwest. I collect data on where our listeners listen, and a lot of people are in Indiana, Ohio. Did you have trouble satisfying your adventure needs while you lived in the Midwest? Are there little ways or little tips that you can give some of our listeners to experience that? Yeah, I think you know what I'm. What I'm always surprised about when I go home are that the the climbers that are there that are, you know, either going to college there or grew up there or both, uh, the stoke level is pretty high for climbing that when you're climbing pretty lame things, you know, when compared to the West. Uh, I mean, I know, like, my first outdoor climbing experience was at this place called Unlikely Wall, and... It's like southern Indiana outside of uh, Bloomington, and it's this road cut, you know, where you climb the tubes that they drill down (laughs) to blast the roadside, and there's like semis, you know, 
racing by, but we were just stoked. And I think that's, you know, I'd say grab onto that and, and then find friends that you can road trip with as much as possible and then move (laughs) 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 or live by an airport. (laughs) I'd like to speak to that as well. Just that, just the enthusiasm. Like I love, I love Midwesterners coming from ski towns. Everybody gets a little spoiled. And so you'll look outside and there's like six inches. Maybe you're like, ah, I'll wait to get a foot. Six inches of snow. Correct. And then, you know, hang out with some Midwesterners and just like their enthusiasm is just contagious. And yeah. so I think it's always fun to interact at whatever level with, with people from the Midwest. Maybe I, that's why I married one. <laughs> he had I so much enthusiasm when I met him. Holy cow. I love it. Two thoughts on that. First of all, unlikely wall. What a great name for uh, climbing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And then second thought is I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and on the enthusiasm, the, the ski, resort that i was near it was called seven springs and probably 350 vertical feet on the front side and 500 feet on the back side and the stoke level as you put it mark was sky high as well yeah it's a pretty good indicator when you're measuring your ski resorts in hundreds of feet instead of thousands right. of feet that something's wrong right exactly <laughs> but again i think that's why uh eastern skiers sometimes they learn to be better skiers just because they they aren't spoiled yeah they're better at slaying ice yeah but when they get into powder you gotta when you ski ice you have to have weight on one foot primarily mm-hmm. you know all your weights on one foot and we ski powder it's got to be more evenly distributed mm-hmm. So they have a little trouble with that, but they quickly adapt. Uh, yes, I agree with you. So do you guys have some sort of like magical story of how you met, or how'd you meet? Let's see. I was in Gunnison, Colorado. Uh, Janelle was going to college there, and I was done with college. Uh, I was just being a ski bum, climbing guy, I don't know, not working because it was the off-season, and we met at this uh, young young couples group talking about marriage. It was, uh, the group was organized through the church that we were going to. And, and yeah, so the topic was marriage. And my comment was, I think it was my first week there. My comment was, well, what I'm concerned about in getting married is what if I get bored? And from across the room, Janelle said, yeah, me too. And I was like, huh, who's this? <laughs> And the fact that, you know, he was a, a mountain god and currently unemployed was so attractive. Right, yeah. yeah. The money was just falling out of my pockets. She was like, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, it's great that we have both of you here so we can find out the truth to every single story. Is that how you <laughs> saw it too, Janelle? Uh, um, yeah, he was, he was cute and he said he was a mountain guide. So I always wanted someone. My, my problem growing up is this might sound silly, but I, I couldn't find boys that could keep up with me. And so I got bored really easily. So I, I didn't date a whole lot. And when I heard that he was a mountain guy, and he was kind of cute. And he'd get up early and go watch the sunrise with me after climbing a mountain. I was like, all right, let's go. Nice. So, so both of you are satisfying your adventure needs. This 50 classic climbs is basically a love story. It's very heartwarming. <laughs> never heard it called that before but really i i think it's great you guys are out there together doing it all i told you before the show i am not married but i can imagine 
that this would be very inspiring for married people. So for our married Meister fans, pay attention. Mark and Janelle, I assume that the phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder does not apply to you. Yeah, living in a 16-square-foot van makes the heart. <laughs> and then like an 8-square-foot tent. Yeah. Even and, uh, smaller than that sometimes, right? You guys, right. I saw some pictures of you guys on ledges. That were yeah, it could be a, a 4 by 6 foot. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's been a bonding experience for sure. Mm-hmm. I've said this before on the show that when you go through challenges together, it makes you closer as a team. You have obviously seen that, but you're also with that greater reward that you're getting, you also need to assume more risk. Is it sometimes difficult to climb together? I mean, you're doing pretty risky things. Yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. There's on the far end of the horrible spectrum to watch your spouse die in front of you would be, you know, the worst. And we've been in situations where that is a real possibility. And we try to put that out of our mind yet not be ignorant to the possibility because you're just asking for it then I feel Mm. so morbid. I know that was grim, but at the same time we're able to in, in, you know, the same trip, even we're able to, experience have some of the highest highs that we've had in the mountains together and so you don't have to come back and explain that you know to your spouse when you you know if you go out with a buddy and then you come back and like oh tell me what it was like it's like we we lived it together and and it's it's very much you know some of it's bonding with like exciting times and happy times and other of its other times it's bonding like in the trenches and getting through a tough thing or a scary thing dangerous uh but yeah definitely i'd also say it's forced teamwork like you can't go to bed angry because you're right next to him you have to figure out the next day how to solve a problem and i'd also say slamming the van door just doesn't have the same effect as slamming a bedroom door <laughs> or, you can see or, the person walking away through the window <laughs> yeah well i think i don't know a funny story we were in red rocks which is right inside las vegas and i don't know what mark did but he made me so angry and we were he was doing one of his mountain guide courses so we were they were renting a house somewhere in the ghetto of las vegas and it was late at night and i got mad i slammed the van door started walking down the street, got scared because this neighborhood's kind of sketchy. So I come back and sit back in the van. He's like, you, you done being mad? I'm like, no, I'm just scared of being outside. <laughs> or slamming the tent door shut. It's like, zip, zip, zip. <laughs> then you get the zipper caught. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, that doesn't happen too often. Well, that's good to hear. Let's move on. I, I do want to talk about the climbs more specifically. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing about this. So for our listeners, 50 Classic Climbs was published in 1979. So uh, you guys have, I'm sure, read Into Thin Air, or many of our listeners have too. Krakauer at the beginning talks about these people that were pursuing mountaineering as a career. And he says, it starts off, people are able to get funding by doing things first. And that's very prestigious in mountaineering, doing something first, whether it's a first ascent or doing something first without oxygen. And normally people are able to pick up sponsorship by doing those sorts of things. But eventually those types of activities run out, so then people transition to guiding. So I guess my point here is that 
once there's an opportunity to do something first, people seem to jump on it, yet these 50 classic climbs have been around since 1979. Why has nobody done this yet, or why are you the first ones to maybe complete it? Well, there's... Okay, so there's real showstoppers in it. On the 50 list, there's probably a dozen climbs that are well above the average climber's, the average dedicated climber's ability level. And there's maybe a half dozen that are a couple steps above the average climber's ability level. And so I think when people tackle a project, they want to have their mind wrapped around it where we just, you know, threw our hat in the ring Mm. before we even knew what it was about. Yeah. Mark's like, Hey, do you know, I got this really great idea. Let's climb all the 50 classic climbs in North America. I was like, okay, sweet. (laughs) And so we go out and we try to climb the first climb and we ended up (laughs) climbing the wrong route because we found that out after we bought the book. And then once we bought the book, we're like, what? And Mark is all about following through on what he started. And so that's why we kept going, I believe. But, I mean, it's it's an, it's a huge feat. It requires so many different skills, whether it's off with alpine climbing, expedition style, hard rock climbing, aid climbing, and then the amount of travel and time and money that it takes to pull this off, I think, is a, is a limiting factor for most people. A hundred percent. Quickly, we like to talk about how things parallel your everyday life on this show. Do you guys have that attitude of just going for it in other parts of your life versus just climbing? This is our life. (laughs) (laughs) You mean there's more to life than this? (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say I've tried to kind of structure my life. I'll use the analogy of a jet ski. You know, if you if your hand isn't on the throttle, you can't turn the thing. Hmm. And if you're, you know, if you got the throttle pulled back, you can, you know, weave and go left and right as as needed. And I think all too often people just, you know, sit and wait for the right, you know, for the stars to align essentially before they take action. And I'd rather not do that. I think I'm probably the same way. I would I usually jump into the pool without testing the water first in many different aspects. But I think that's also, you know, what's helping with ski racing and also with, you know, this, this project. I found that the the stars normally don't align themselves. Yeah, that's true. And then there's, you know, and that, that spills over into the other, another, you know, I guess life lesson that we've learned along the way is that there's no matter the situation, no matter your ability level, the amount of funding that is there, there's going to be obstacles to overcome. And, and you just gotta, you know, push through it and, and, you know, fail and get back up and do it again. And, you know, change something, go about it, go about it strategically. But there's no, there's no amount of strategizing, if that's a word that you can strategizing. We we clearly read a lot of books. Yeah, we're pretty smart. Um, <laughs> that you can do to avoid all conflict or hurdles. You know, that's it's just impossible. You you gotta you gotta be able to overcome. Yeah. Although we did say earlier that you kind of just jumped into this thing, 
you are planning this very specifically. You said you started with the climbs where the fruit was low on the tree. Is that the strategy here? Start with the easy ones, get progressively harder? I think we started with the cheap ones, all the ones Mm. that we could do driving, I guess. I guess we did one Alaska trip too, and we started the expensive ones. I mean, we just made went on a trip to Mount Logan, and that trip was roughly a lot of money. Mm. (laughs) So, I mean super expensive expedition to a very remote place and it just takes it just takes a little more planning to get to a point where you can afford to do something like that mm-hmm. and along the way as a i mean the i'd say the finances are the main driver but the secondary benefit is that we've become better climbers as well and more experienced and you know like we did for example the east ridge mountain temple in the canadian rockies first and gave us a intro into how loose the rock is up there and then mount alberta next and the rock is even looser and a little bit steeper and those two climbs set us up for success for mount robson which is the steepest and loosest and had we just gone straight to mount robson Mm. we wouldn't have been it would have been too much and we would have you know not not been able to handle it with that said, it did take us three tries to get up it. That's true. <laughs> so are you guys pretty patient with this? I mean, you've been going four and a half years. You sound like uh, however we define failure, if it's not summiting, but successes in staying alive. How much longer do you expect for these last six? I don't know. I think we're both in the same boat that we don't want this to be our Moby Dick and spend the rest of our life going after it. So it would be nice to try to wrap it up in the next couple years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got injured this year. So that's kind of given us a little bit of a setback, but hopefully I'll be able to to heal well and get back on it. Mm-hmm. Have there been some pretty hairy times? Any any hairy situations? I feel like rocks are attracted to me coming at high speeds from above. Um, there's been several times where I've had some near misses, and then I've also had a direct hit on my quad Ooh. climbing in Yosemite, actually, where they say the rock quality is so good, um, which I was out for probably six weeks from that injury. Um, but I think other than that, yeah, rock fall is a big rock fall wall repelling. Um, you know, cause you, there's in multi-pitch rock climbing. If you don't walk off the back, you have to repel down the face mm-hmm. and each repel you, you know, if you have, if you have one 200 foot rope, you thread it through some type of anchor and then a hundred feet are, are hanging down the face and you repel down that and then you pull one side of the rope and the other side goes up and then once it goes through that top anchor it falls down Mm. and when that rope is falling down it can knock rocks off and that's that's been um you know i mean we've uh, we've repelled probably thousands of pitches um and and that's probably the time that you're most at risk, I think, for for rockfall. And then avalanche mitigation is also a big a big deal. Um, we haven't been caught in avalanches, but it, you know, it's, snow conditions in general has been a big, almost ever present concern. Whether it's too much snow or the temperatures are too hot and things are shifting around or it's wind loaded. There's all types of avalanche factors that can, uh, that can play in. But, you know, after 
And then I guess the final one would be Cornus and Serac Falls. Mm-hmm. So again, snow related, but we haven't had any like Seracs breaking and falling right next to us or anything like that. We've been we've been very fortunate, honestly, for how much how many days we've logged in serious terrain to be relatively I mean, pretty much fine. Yeah. So in, in one of the videos, uh, you've been doing a great job of documenting this adventure. In one of the videos, uh, you were talking about skill versus luck, and that's a topic which I think is so interesting in many facets of life. And do we know if things are attributed, successes, I guess, are attributed to skill or if we're just lucky? Um, and then you, you touched on uh, one of the climbs, I believe it was Moose's Tooth, um, mm-hmm. where you said this climb had more objective risk but less or equal reward, or you may have said it uh, something along those lines, which if you think about it really isn't logical at all. Like why would anybody want to climb that if... Because it's on a list! Well, yeah, that's a good point. But but just on the topic of like risk and reward, if you told somebody that they could have a million dollars by swimming across a pool or by walking across hot coals they were almost undoubtedly going to choose swimming across the pool unless they can't swim because the risk and reward really aren't related. Do you find that that is true for climbing or do you think that the risk is almost inherent in the reward? That's a great question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think as as your comfort level increases, your risk tolerance increases, and then you you kind of enjoy walking that line, you know, of, of risk versus safety. And I think that's part of the attraction to climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that any object, objective, mountain objective, is going to have more risk for a less experienced person. And as the person gets more experienced, there's actually less risk mm-hmm. because they can see a problem coming down the pipe and and just change course accordingly before it becomes a big deal or they can they can bail before you know before things get irreversibly bad and or they can see you know like we took uh, on that on the moose's tooth our first attempt we took uh Eric Alstrom uh who's a who's a filmmaker now and to help uh, document things, and he was all psyched on on the project, even though it was our first our first real expedition. And he hadn't he hadn't climbed in big mountains before. He lived in he lived in Aspen, Colorado, and has climbed Colorado mountains, but had never done an expedition. And for example, he uh, didn't put his gaiters on correctly, and then we walked through snow, deep snow for five hours, and his socks were soaked. Mm. And in Colorado, when he'd go out skiing or whatever, his socks would get soaked. But then he got to go home, dry them out, and then the next day he had dry boots. In expedition, you don't, you know, things don't dry out very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it was like this is this is kind of code red. You're not, you don't realize that, but you know, we need to take care of this right now, or you're going to have you know frostbite mm-hmm. tomorrow, you know, potentially. And so you know, as as you get more experience, I think those risks will go down. Now, cornice falling or serac falling, it doesn't matter how experienced you are or how many days you have in the mountains. If a 
pound block of ice hits you, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, sorry, and you can answer this, Janelle. My question is, walking under a Serac like that, risk sky high, is the reward then higher because you're taking that risk? No, sometimes it's just stupid. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some of these climbs that we've done, I would not recommend them. Like, I don't think it's worth it. Sometimes the objective hazards are just not worth it. Like, I think people want to be challenged technically. I think they want to be challenged, you know, physically, maybe even emotionally when it comes to climbing as well. But I don't think there's any reason to intentionally put yourself under dangerous situations, whether it's Serac fall, breakable cornices, you know, crazy outlandish conditions or a place with high rock fall. It's just, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, but we do it all the time. That's because we're following a list. <laughs> this list no, is... I think, I mean, and I touched on this in the Moose's Tooth video, is that if you take that risk and you have success... Then yes, I can say it was worth it. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Exactly, mm-hmm. and so I don't think in a climbing scenario you can answer that question in foresight. You gotta just you gotta go for it, and if it works out, then yes, it was worth it. But I mean, even think about it this way: if somebody, if I got drive to the grocery store today to get, you know food for two weeks and then get hit by a drunk driver and die, was that food that I was going to go get worth it? No, you're dead. Right. So I, you know, it's, I don't think it's like, it's not this like set scale of like, Oh, okay. If there's like, you know, 14 units of uh, objective danger, then it's not worth it. You got, it's, it's a moving target Mm -hmm. for both the person that their time of life, you know, if they just, broke up with their girlfriend, if they're feeling, you know, sassy, if they, you know, just if they're coming off of other success, there's all these factors that weigh into a person saying, yes, this is, this particular objective is worth it for me right now. Cause you're going to do different routes, whether you just break up with someone or if you just had a baby, you know what I mean? There's going to be different, different, different levels. Yeah. You said there, like, what is this climb doing on the list? Are there any of these climbs where you've been like, come on, guys, like, what were you thinking putting this here? Yeah, there's... We could probably count up how many times we haven't said that. Wow. So <laughs> so let's say one one climb, you got to remove one climb from the list, and then you have to add one that's not there. What do you choose? Oh, if we're actually working on removing 35 of them. <laughs> Making your own list. Yep. And... Uh, but right off the top of my head, I, the easiest one to remove would be uh, Hallett Peak in Colorado. Do you agree with that, Janelle? I do. The bottom half of it actually fell off due to some rock fall, so it's it's not really even much of a route anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so many other cool things in the area, and um, it even I, I mean those two pitches had to be like really really good for. You know, for its status, the the authors Alan Stack and Steve Roper really focused uh, or weighed a lot on history. Uh, if it had a good story, because of course they were writing a book, mm-hmm. um, and so they they wanted and and Steve Roper is a historian in his own right for sure, uh, especially in the Yosemite area, and he's written books on Camp Four and Yosemite in the '60s and all that, and he is. He is a definitive voice in in climbing history, especially when it comes to California. So 
if the climb had a good story, they would weigh that in more than what I would weigh it in. Like, Janelle and I want to focus on, like, good climbing. Well, uh, I guess TBD on the Mark and Janelle Smiley 50 Classic Climbs. So you're, you're going to have to find a new name, I think. I don't know. I think <laughs> I'm just going to call it 50 Classic Climbs because that's the, – and they make a note of this in the forward of the book is that it's not the 50 Classic Climbs. <laughs> it's 50 Classic Climbs. <laughs> so if, if a book were to come out, if we were going to produce a book or something – then people would just call it, is it the new one or is it the old one? You know what I mean? Okay, so we like to get a gear recommendation from all the people, all the cool people we like to bring on the show. Let's get a gear recommendation from you guys, one for each of you. I would say Climbing Shoe, the La Sportiva Mira VS. Brilliant all-around shoe. Mine would be the... Arcteryx Squamish hoodie. It's a wind shirt and it packs down to the size of a baseball about and it is perfect for multi-pitch summer rock climbing and also it's it's good. It's actually a good shell layer if the weather is decent and you're just worried about wind. Janelle, before the interview, you were telling me that you really wanted to recommend your $3,000 ski boots uh, for our listeners. If, if they have a paycheck to spend, what are your ski boots that you use? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's not fair, but Las Portiva <laughs> makes this all-carbon ski boot that weighs less than a, you know, probably comparable to a running shoe, wow. and it just makes it so easy to go uphill, and then it locks down so it's super stiff, just because carbon's a very stiff, stiff material, and then for the descent, it's incredibly durable so I, that would be my number one recommendation and it's the stratus cube excellent for the listeners check out those recommendations on mark and janelle's meister profile page on our website mtnmeister.com final question for the two of you and thank you this has been a fantastic conversation thus far contrary to what some people think you know they might they might think that you should be guiding after this expedition you know you've established yourself i think you have a future career in couples therapy um give us <laughs> give our listeners some advice what what has helped you uh, as far as being a couple get through this you want to go first um i'd say find the right person <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd rather be lonely than married to the wrong person. Mm. And uh, I think also make room for change because we all change, and I think it's super important to change together. How have you guys changed from the beginning of this project till now? We've gotten older. <laughs> and also I think, I mean, it's just it's just true. Women are more emotional than men, and it's often, like, I have, it's it's pretty common to cry on big roots and get scared and I would say that Mark has learned how to support me in that instead of getting mad at me or telling me to stop crying he's just like let all your feelings out just just tell me all about it and then as soon as I do I'm fine then we can just climb super hard so I think it's learning how learning how to work with each other through the different circumstances and do you think Mark would have learned that have had you not done this I think it probably would have taken 30 more years Uh uh-huh yeah, this was this was a very boiled down, very concentrated learning time. You know, I mean, living in close quarters, 
being together 24 seven, it's, uh, you, you get to know a person really well. And I think, I mean, we're pretty relaxed for the most part. I think that helps. And we have similar values and I mean, we're pretty similar in a lot of ways and that helps. I think we're also very different. Yeah, but <laughs> in I, a lot of ways. <laughs> but I, I mean, when I look at other other couples and like friends, couples and stuff, we we have a lot of similarities compared to like we can almost wear the same size shoe. No, I'm kidding. But um, on that note of couples therapy, we actually have been taking different couples out into wilderness settings or on climbing trips and in do kind of like a dual guiding thing. And it's been super rewarding for us and for the different people we've taken out. So cool. I didn't know that. So, okay. So final thing, where can our listeners find out more about that? On our website, smileysproject.com. Smileysproject.com. Mark and Janelle, thank you for joining us and congratulations on being named a mountain meister. For the listeners, check out highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com. Mark and Janelle's Meister profile page. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Hello, Meister fans. Thanks for tuning in to Couples Therapy Climbing Edition with Mark and Janelle Smiley. Hope you enjoyed that talk. The temperatures are starting to drop, and I'm sure that makes many of you excited. For those of you who are more warm weather folks, just think, only another six months. Don't forget about that deal that we're offering 15% off at Mojigear. Maybe you'll use that to stay warm this winter. As always, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. I'm Ben Shank, and you've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.